Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the Mysterio to my Spider-Man, Steve. Oh, it's been a long journey. It has, and it's good to be doing this, but I just feel different. Do you feel sad? I. Or do you feel bit, hopeful? I just, I just feel different. Like, as you watch this saga, it just changes you. And then... Once you experience the final movie of Endgame, nothing is ever the same in your life. That is very, very true. At least least for me. I can't speak for everybody else, but how you doing? I am fantastic. I I watched Far From Home on uh, Saturday uh, in the morning. Normally, I watch these things at night, but I watched in the morning because I had some other things to be going on that day. And I was like, you know what? It's a good morning movie. It, 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 you know, don't feel like it's too heavy. It's kind of like a light breakfast. Well, I wish I could say the same, but I, I, I did watch this at, uh, I think I stopped. It, the credits were rolling at like 1230 at night. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> of course they were. Well, this week we are tackling the second movie of the Spider-Man series. The 23rd in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the final movie in the Infinity Saga, Spider-Man Far From Home. Now on the show, we'll be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Pantheon, and the comic book Movie Planet Preserved is comprised of seven and only seven films. In order to be inducted, it's got to be reviewed by us, and they are... Number one with a perfect score, Avengers Endgame. Number two with a perfect score, Deadpool. Number three with a perfect score, Avengers Infinity War. Number four with a perfect score, Iron Man. Number five with a perfect score, The Dark Knight. And then we get to the Uh... (laughs) Number six, with an A-minus average, Batman Begins. And number seven, with a B-plus average, Black Panther. Now, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out on its butt from the preserve in the future, so we will discuss this movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure it out if we need to boot a movie out. This is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen 2019 Spider-Man Far From Home, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But now that we finished that business, let's get down to business! <laughs> this week, we are discussing 2019 Spider-Man Far From Home, a movie made for $160 million that brought in $1.132 billion worldwide. That's the first billion dollar one for Spider-Man, Steve. Uh, you know what? I was thinking about that as you were saying it. I was debating on, so is this post-Endgame money or because of Endgame or is this Spider-Man? Because usually Spider-Man is really, really hot. Well, and I think this, I, I think Endgame was a springboard. <laughs> it, you, you can't deny that. I guess if this was a Hulk movie. Yes. Would it still get the same amount of money? Probably not because of the way that Hulk ended in Infinity War or in, in Endgame. Because there was a closure point to him. There really isn't a closure point for Peter. Okay. I think people so want to see this say- because they were like, this was marketed very much of this is post-Endgame. And if you remember, they, they held off the trailers on this when Endgame was in theaters because they didn't want to spoil anything. Uh, it makes me curious what was in the trailers to make it spoil. Well, the trailers, the very first shot is Spider-Man 
uh, swinging at nighttime into the top, and he looks over and he sees the mural of Iron Man, and it says "Rest in Peace." So, oh, okay, it says "Rest in Peace." Okay, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, sorry about that. I left that piece out. <laughs> sure, I was gonna say, oh, mural. Small Iron detail. Man, so. uh, written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. Chris McKenna from the, uh, you know, Endgame and Infinity War. Uh, produced by Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal. Here's Marvel and Sony duking it out, trying to, hey, who's who's more creative? Let's do our thing. I want to do my thing. We have Venom over here. We want to introduce Spider-Man in our universe. Uh, directed by John Watts and music by Michael Giacchino. I feel like I have to watch Lost again just to become a fan again. Let Be- me tell you about Michael Giacchino. Please do. His... For every podcast, I listen to the music. Yes. And I turn on the album uh-huh. and I tend to look at the popular ones and then kind of, as you know, you read the name of the song, kind of match the scene in my head. Okay. And after about maybe five to six minutes of listening to multiple songs, mm-hmm. I am starting to really like Michael Giacchino. Is it because of the emotion that his music brings forth? Yes. Yeah. He does emotion great in his music. And it's, I can see him being, and, and, I, and I hate to say the new Alan Silvestri, because I feel like we both, well, obviously Alan Silvestri, is, he's done his best work. I, we, well, it's, I, yeah. He, he's done his best. Can he continue to, to create amazing pieces? Yes. But I feel like he, could, Michael Giacchino can be, can rise up to the same thing. Well, Michael Giacchino was, if you remember, he was supposed to be the heir. He was supposed to be the one to score The Force Awakens. And because they weren't sure if John Williams would be up to it. they J.J. Abrams wanted Giacchino to do it. And, you know, Giacchino can take themes from other artists and make them unique. Um, but his bread and butter has always been he can play five notes on a piano and make you cry like a bitch. See, it's interesting as you say that because there was a couple songs in there. I think it was the um, first one on the album, Spider-Man Far From Home Sweet Home. Okay. And I heard the piano play, and mm. I instantly thought of Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, because he can, he can do that. He knows how to integrate all that. And throughout the four or five songs I listened to, you can hear that um, the quick violin Oh, yeah. Of the Spider-Man theme song. Yep. Or almost like it's like, I'm sorry, maybe the Marvel intro. Yeah. You know how it has that fast violin sound to it. So I don't know. I just really I'm starting to get on board with it. OK. All right. Uh, this movie is starring uh, Tom Holland as Peter Parker, uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Beck, Mysterio, Marissa Tomei as the. I don't know who her fashion designer in this movie was, but they kept changing decades. Aunt May Parker. John Favreau is Happy Hogan. Zendaya is Michelle. <laughs> Jacob Adelon as Ned Leeds. Tony Revolori as Flash Thompson. Angori Rice as Betty Brant. Remy Hill as Brad Davis. Martin Starr as Mr. Harrington. J.B. Smoove as Mr. Dell. Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill. Newman Akar as Dimitri. Peter Billingsley from A Christmas Story as William Riva. Ben Mendelsohn and Sharon Blinn play the Skrulls. Talos and Soren. And J.K. Simmons as Jay Jonah Jameson. Welcome back to Spider-Man. <laughs> and, for the, and for the first time in all of these movies, Steve, Stan Lee will be missed. He is yes. not in this movie. Yeah, that was uh, 
I didn't really realize that till after the movie was end, thinking that he might be in a post credit scene. But um, just to go back for the record, you do have Zendaya as MJ, not Michelle. For the record, <laughs> I know what it says, <laughs> and I am rebelling against. Okay, <laughs> let's get in the making of this movie. Here we go. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. In June of 2016, Sony Pictures chairman Tom Rothman stated that Sony and Marvel Studios were committed to making future Spider-Man films after Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017. The following month, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige said if additional films were made, the company had an early idea to follow the model of the Harry Potter film series and have the film, or the plot of each film, cover a new school year with a second film intended to take place during Parker's junior year of high school. By October of 2016, discussions had begun for a second film, including which villain would be featured, according to Spider-Man actor Tom Holland, who was signed for three Spider-Man films, including Homecoming. In December, after the successful release of the first Homecoming trailer, Sony slated a sequel to the film for July 5th, 2019. Sony's insistence that the sequel be released in 2019 complicated Marvel's preference for secrecy regarding their plans for Spider-Man, since the character would die at the end of Avengers Infinity War in 2018 and not be resurrected before Avengers Endgame in April of 2019. Sony was revealed in June of 2017 to have the use of another Marvel Studios-controlled character for the film, as it did with Iron Man for Homecoming. Feige stated that Marvel and Sony were just starting to solidify the plans for the film and felt Spider-Man's appearances in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame would, quote, launch him off into a very new cinematic universe at that point, end quote. Similar to how Captain America Civil War informed everything in Homecoming. Marvel and Sony were both keen on having Homecoming director John Watts return for the sequel, and Feige stated that filming was expected to begin in April or May of 2018. As with Homecoming, Feige stated that the film's villain would be one that had not yet been seen in film. By July of 2017, John Watts was in negotiations with the studios to return for the sequel, and Marissa Tomei expressed interest in reprising her role as Aunt May from the previous film. Amy Pascal, producer for Sony, said the film would begin a few minutes after the conclusion of Avengers Endgame. A specific amount of time is not stated in the film, but Watts felt it was almost immediately after Endgame. Given this, Watts felt this posed a fun creative challenge for the Far From Home team, allowing them to deal with many of the unanswered questions from Endgame. Watts added that they looked to, quote, make a movie that's in the world and deals with those stories, but is also still a fun Spider-Man movie, end quote. For example, Ned, MJ, and Flesh all turned to dust during the events of Infinity War, along with Peter Parker, while some of his classmates were not, and are now five years older. Watts compared this dynamic to the film Flight of the Navigator from 1986, calling the situation really weird, but, quote, also something you can have a lot of fun with, end quote. At the end of August of 2017, as the film was entering pre-production, Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, two of the writers on Homecoming, were in final negotiations to return for the sequel. 
In early October of 2017, Jacob Badalon confirmed that he would reprise his role of Ned in the film. And then two months later, Kevin Feige confirmed that John Watts would indeed return to direct the sequel. A couple months after that, Zendaya joins the film, reprising her role as Michelle, or MJ. And a month after that, Jake Gyllenhaal enters his negotiations to play Mysterio. And McKenna and Summers are also confirmed as the film's screenwriters. At the end of June of 2018, Holland revealed the film's title to be Spider-Man Far From Home, and the casting of Gyllenhaal was confirmed. Kevin Feige explained that they decided to reveal the title in this way because of the potential for the title to leak after filming began. He compared the title to Spider-Man Homecoming in that it is, quote, full of alternate meaning, end quote, which continuing to the use of home and explained that the film focuses on Parker and his friends going to Europe on summer vacation away from their home of New York. Shortly after the start of filming, set photos revealed Hemke Madera would reprise his role as Mr. Delmar, the owner of a local bodega, and J.B. Smoove and Newman Akar also joined the cast. By early August, Samuel L. Jackson and Kobe Smulders were confirmed to be appearing in the film, reprising their respective roles of Nick Fury and Maria Hill from previous MCU films, and Remy High joined the cast later in the month. Now, at Sony's CCXP Brazil panel in December of 2018, it was revealed the Elementals would appear in the film. Each of the Elementals are inspired by other Spider-Man villains, such as the Water One by Hydro-Man and the Fire One by Molten Man, but they are not called such. Martin Starr was confirmed to be reprising his role as Mr. Harrington from Homecoming in the next month, and in April of 2019, Sony moved the film's release date up to July 2nd of 2019. Additionally, while promoting Avengers Endgame at a fan event in Shanghai, Feige said Far From Home would serve as the final film of the MCU's Phase 3. It had previously been believed that Far From Home would start Phase 4 after Endgame concluded Phase 3. Post-production wrapped in June of 2019. All right, Steve, do you remember seeing this for the first time? What did you think post-Endgame? Yes, I saw this movie in the theater with the wife. She was super excited because she loves Mm Spider-Man. And it is Marvel. They can do no wrong for me now. It's just like (laughs) a Marvel movie. Yeah, it's got to be an A. So uh, (laughs) went and saw the movie. But it was just weird because I was hesitant with seeing it because I to me it just came off the greatest movie that I've ever seen it's like I I was hesitant but I was still excited to see it because again it was Marvel right what about you uh you know what it's after Endgame I'm right re- I-, I was there first person I want I wanted to get the I want to be in the theater right away I want anybody to watch it before me and uh I I, I watched this and I was like okay I'm just looking for your after mint you know, your Ant-Man after Avengers and Age of Ultron. I'm looking for your Ant-Man and the Wasp after Infinity War. And because I'm like, OK, you know, probably just a, a little story piece and so, just something to put a smile back on my face after Endgame. And I'm not going to lie. Uh, Mysterio knocked it out of the park for me. I thought Jake Mysterio was, was awesome. He was amazing. Like, I, I was so worried about that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. He leaned into this so well. I was almost clapping in my seat at the end when he was like just going crazy on the bridge. I was like, yes, I love how maniacal he is right now. <laughs> this is like DC level maniacal. 
Yeah, he was uh, he was trudging Joker like. Oh, very much so. Yeah. So I I remember seeing this and loving it and just being like, that was just the perfect ending to this series. And then I remember getting pissed off at all these people saying, no, Endgame was the ending of the series. This is the beginning of the new one. And I'm like, no, it's both. It is both. It's been said over and over. It is both. No, 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 it's not. Uh, okay, whatever. Fine. Don't listen. <laughs> what the f*** do I know? I only do this for four f***ing years now. It's time to start walking through this movie with a synopsis courtesy of the Marvel Wiki page, IMDB, and Wikipedia. Cue the clip. Ouch. I thought you had super strength. It still hurts. Yeah, people. All right, relax. Just a few more. There we go. Oh, my God. Happy. Relax. Don't tell him to relax, Happy. How can I relax when I messed up so bad? I trusted Beck, right? I thought he was my friend, so I gave him the only thing that Mr. Stark left behind for me, and now he's going to kill my friends in half of Europe, so please do not tell me to relax. I'm sorry, Happy. I'm sorry I shouldn't shout. I just really miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. Everywhere I go, I see his face. And the whole world is asking who's going to be the next Iron Man. I don't know if that's me, Happy. I'm not Iron Man. You're not Iron Man. You're never gonna be Iron Man. Nobody could live up to Tony. Not even Tony. Tony was my best friend. And he was a mess. He second-guessed everything he did. He was all over the place. The one thing that he did that he didn't second-guess was picking you. I don't think Tony would have done what he did if he didn't know that you were gonna be here after he was gone. Now your friends are in trouble, you're all alone, your tech is missing. What are you gonna do about it? I'm gonna kick his ass. But I mean, I mean, I mean right now, like specifically what are we gonna do because we've been hovering over a tulip field for the last 15 minutes. Right, um, I can't call my friends because he's tracking their phones. Uh, give me your phone. My, my cell phone? Yeah. Okay, here. What's your password? Password. No, what is your password? Password, the word, spelled out password. You're the head of security and your password is password? I, I don't feel good about it either. Hello, governor, cup of tea for you. I'm gonna be in London. They're in London. London, okay. Yeah, I need a suit. The film opens in a Mexican city where Nick Fury and Maria Hill have arrived to investigate the area after a reported cyclone with a face had torn through the city. Moments later, the two encounter a being known as an elemental, specifically the one that can manipulate Earth. Fury and Maria are met by a man in a super-powered suit named Quentin Beck, and he helps the two fight the Earth elemental. Okay, uh, before we do anything here, I know... This takes place in 2024. I know this because there was a five years later gap between end, in the story and Endgame. But it would be nice if they let the rest of the world know what year it is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe. But did we really need to know? I, I don't know. I never put that in place. 
And I'm sure 90% of everybody else didn't even either. I didn't think it was a huge deal. I think it's a big deal because when you explain something later on, like the snapping, if you will, or the snap, or what they call it later, the blip, it makes it more like, wow, these people were really gone. Like, I know that we just saw Endgame, but you kind of have to reestablish that feeling right away of people have been gone for five years. And then they do they do something later on, which is it's a funny way of explaining it. But I feel like it takes away from the weight of it. Well, uh, yeah, but it totally makes sense in this day and age with the generation that's trying to explain and face with reality with all of this. OK. Hey, what do you think of Quentin Beck's entrance? Dude, I thought the special effects were, like, really on point. They were very flashy, bold colors, you know. That green, that, color. that green is yeah. bright. <laughs> yeah, they had a lot of colors that were clashing that very, that made everything pop on screen. Yeah. And it was, and it was very in-your-face. I know that, and yeah, okay. I, I was going to say, the last thing that he says, you are no part of this, and then throws off that, I, I guess I don't know what kind of power he has. It's almost like Scarlet Witch type. Kind of, yeah. The uh, I know that you're an entrance guy. You love a Thor entrance into a movie. Would you say that this is filmed very much like a Thor-like entrance? Yeah, how he comes in. I guess if you have to compare the look of like when Thor comes in with the Bifrost right. and how Mysterio comes in with his cloud of energy, for lack of a better term. Yeah. There's there, there, there's a lot of similarities. I'll give you that. Yeah. And there's actually this movie is very much a, I guess, a salute to all the moments you're, you've seen in the previous Avengers movies. Because you see so many parallels in action scenes to things you have seen before. And including one later on, which is so blatant, but I think really, really well done when Spider-Man grabs a shield-like object and a drone like a hammer. Mm, yeah. So. Okay. Cut to Midtown School of Science and Technology, where Betty Brandt and Jason Ionello are doing their daily school news report. But they start with an in-memoriam dedicated to Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Natasha Romanoff, and Vision. Betty recaps the events of the blip with many students having been dusted away before returning to life and finding that some of their younger classmates have now surpassed them physically and chronologically. Okay, Steve, I, I'm, I'm on two sides of the fence on this. On the one hand, you know how I feel about the high school news scenes in these movies. I think they're hysterical, but doesn't this memoriam kind of feel like it could have been in Deadpool also? <laughs> oh, no, I totally agree. The, the song choice and I, I completely forgot about this. But then them taking pictures from like, <laughs> you can tell they took them off the internet because they have the, the uh, water oh, marks yeah. on them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some of them even look, yeah, and some of them were like distorted because they're like blown up for the uh, for the newscast. <laughs> but when the Marvel logo starts going through and then you see all the actors in there and you hear the Whitney Houston mm. song, I was like, I was in. I was watching this in my bedroom and I was laughing hysterically. I completely <laughs> forgot about this whole thing. I was like, this is, this is great. <laughs> this is yes. absolutely great. And it's, it, and I'm glad that they addressed this in mm -hmm. the very beginning because you have to. Yeah. You can't, you, you cannot cannot run away from ignore, You cannot ignore what the heck just happened in the previous movie. It was 
an obvious smart thing to do by Marvel. So here's the thing, though. They know, I mean, the world knows Tony. The world knows Steve. The world knows Natasha. Did the world know Vision? I was surprised as you <laughs> see that. I was like, what the heck is Vision there? Like, did they have all six Avengers? I didn't see Hawkeye. Well, Hawkeye's still alive. Well, still. I guess if it's Hulk is moment. still alive and Thor is still alive. But why yeah. Vision? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have no idea. I love how the blip is shown in the student video when they're playing or the band is playing and people start disappearing in the band and then it goes to five years later and there's a basketball game going on and all of a sudden the band shows up (laughs) oh god yeah that's well that's a perfect explanation it reminds us that this snapping or this blip it how explains how people moved on and how it affected literally everybody i mean 50% 50% of all life in the universe was eradicated. Yes. So. And apparently they just end up right where they left off. I mean, that answers that question of when they went away, what happened when they came back? Well, now you see it. It answers the question. Yeah. And I think it's absolutely hilarious. That they call this the blip. Oh. That, that That is exactly what this generation would call something that was so massive in nature. And you're right, because now I'm sitting there checking myself going, this is something that my middle schoolers would say. And I'd be like, oh, my God, stop making something so small. Oh, I totally agree, because yeah, for right. us, we call it the snap. And it it's, it's monumental. But for these kids who can't grasp that yet. Right. They would call it something silly like that. I also think this is a this was a great idea having the newscast right away because news is about exposition. And this is great exposition about what happened in the five years, <laughs> especially when it comes to people's ages. Yeah. And I mean, I, I the newscast is I wish this newscast was done, at least in my school, where the news is kind of isn't there yet. Yeah. But. I started to notice a little thing like the microphone dropping from the top of the screen. <laughs> you know, the kids laid back. He's swearing on screen. He goes, no swearing on camera. You know, I'm just like, this is great. But you can tell it's so funny because when you look at them in the first movie, those two, and you look at them now, they are so shaken. <laughs> like Betty, oh, yeah. Betty looks like she saw a ghost and Jason clearly doesn't give a shit anymore. <laughs> No, he's just pissed that he has to. That is uh, my little brother. He's cool. <laughs> oh yeah, and his little brother is now older than him. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely love that explanation because it just shows how it explains to the audience how the five years worked. Yeah, Peter Parker discusses with Ned Leeds his plans to win over Michelle Jones, <clears throat> MJ, on whom he has developed a crush. They are prepping for a class trip to Europe, and Peter hopes that he can tell her how he feels. Steve, I am going to let the MJ stuff go. This is what they're going to do. Fine. But you better call her Michelle every now and then just to differentiate, please. (laughs) And uh, I'm telling you what, they they picked up right where they left off. I, I love Ned and Peter's chemistry in this. And, you know, honestly... I love Zendaya's character, Michelle. She's quirky. MJ. Stop. And smart. (laughs) She's a conspiracy theorist, and she is so not the girl next door type. She completely, every time the wife and I watch this, a Spider-Man movie with her in it, 
we're completely reminded of one of Jamie's childhood friends. Not only do they look the same, mm-hmm. they have the same kind of demeanor. <laughs> and it's just, and what's crazy? Her first name is Michelle. Ah! <laughs> it's like, there's so many parallels. It's, it's insane. Yeah. No, she is a, uh, God, she's, she's wonderful. She is. She's dry as hell. And just everything she says, she knocks out of the park. Yeah. Her character's so dry yeah. that you can't get enough of her. Uh, Peter later attends a fundraiser as Spider-Man with Aunt May there to support him. And we learn that she got blipped, too. They are met by Happy Hogan, who appears to be flirting with May. <gasps> he gives Peter a heads up that Fury is going to call him, which he does almost instantly. But Peter ignores him since he has other things to worry about. He returns outside as Spidey to talk to reporters, but they overwhelm him with questions about becoming the new Iron Man or the next lead Avenger. So he leaves. This is a great way to lean into how May and Peter are aware of Spider-Man. It's kind of unique that Spider-Man is doing special events. <laughs> it's just unique seeing a superhero in the public eye so much, especially after everything that has happened. I agree. Yeah. And you know what? Happy and Aunt May, not going to lie, I kind of hope this goes somewhere. I kind of like these two. I, I like the, uh, oh, what's the word I want to use? The, the secretness. Yes. That they're kind of hinting at. And uh, yeah, I would. I really wish that they would have uh, kept Peter thinking a lot more throughout the, and not just this movie, but movies and beyond. I agree. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the uh, Spider-Man suit? It's awesome looking. I They must have spent some time in the effects workshop because it looked good in Endgame, but for some reason on a stage without action, it looks so real. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I, I thought I was seeing something weird with my eye. It did look, a, it, it looked different. Yeah. Exactly. It, because there wasn't so much CGI going on behind it. And it, to me, it, it looked uncomfortable. Well, that's the funny <laughs> thing is if you look at how they filmed that scene, he's not even wearing the armor. He's wearing one of those little, you know, CGI jumpsuits. They, they CGI'd the armor on him. Yeah. And that's how good it looks now. Yeah, and they do a great job when he takes off his helmet and puts it back on. And that oh, yeah. effect is so completely seamless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And I'm, I, am, I am so, so happy, just like you were with the newscast, I'm so glad that they didn't just ignore the fact that Iron Man is gone and that he was such a big role in Peter's life and that Peter clearly, clearly is still having trouble with it, that they don't ignore that. This movie is the final nail in the saga. Yes, it is. Yeah. The class later heads out for the trip, with Peter choosing to leave the Spidey suit behind to enjoy his vacation, but he later finds that May packed it for him anyway. Uh, As he's packing, May hits Peter with a banana. (laughs) How can you not like this Aunt May? (laughs) That that, that caught me off guard just about as much as Peter. Yeah, and the fact that we all have been waiting for them to use the spider sense, or call it the spider sense, but no, Aunt May called it something different, the Peter Tingle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which i think is more appropriate <laughs> calling calling this the peter tingle is exactly <laughs> what a mom would do now i know i know she's his aunt but let's be honest she's a mom figure yes yeah it, she's got the role of aunt but she's his mom yeah in my eyes. as an aunt you're a mom and a sister yeah and uh, what do you think of that box that's charging the nanotech iron spider suit? It was it was weird, bro, because 
I know it's a certain technology, but it looked like in this box that was no, that was maybe just the size of like a family size cereal box. Yeah. And I'm like, how it's moving in there. I guess I didn't even know it was charging. I guess I didn't see anything plugged in, but, uh, I just noticed that it was just in this box and you know, it's a spider suit and how it's twirling around in there. I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, first thing I thought it was, was, it was that's weird. probably cranking out a lot of voltage on that electric bill. Yeah, well, I'm surprised it can even <laughs> handle it. Like, there's some spots in my house that can't even handle an electric power washer. <laughs> yeah, there'll be no spider suit for you, my friend. They are chaperoned by Mr. Harrington and Mr. Dell and are joined by other students, including Flash Thompson, Flash Mob, who is still a big Spidey fan, but also still dumps all over Peter. Well, um, <laughs> he has one of the best lines in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you, we, we'll mention that later. On the plane, Peter tries to get Ned to help him switch seats so that he can sit with MJ, but Ned only causes Mr. Harrington to take Peter while MJ is seated next to Brad Davis, who is one of the kids that didn't get dusted and grew into a handsome athletic superstar. Peter's clearly jealous while Ned sits next to Betty and they end up becoming a couple. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> What does he say? He says, uh, I, first class and coach, whatever it is. Doesn't, yeah. He says something like, you know, hey, Peter, this is what flying over her poor cities looks like instead of driving through them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then without missing a beat, Michelle's first great line in this movie. Uh, miss, he blipped. So technically he's 16, not 21. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, that's. She's awesome. Yeah. She's just quick and she's smart. And I, you can't not. Here's the thing. I want to not like her because of her name, but I can't. Oh, come on. I can't. It's, the only way I can understand maybe not wanting to like her is because she's so dry and she's the queen of sarcasm and she can kind of be a dick, but it just goes. It's tough to hate her because of her quick wit and mm -hmm. I, it it's just in full swing so far it's just great yeah now steve if you have ever been on a field trip and you had a crush on someone this was pretty close to the type of plan you'd come up with to sit with your crush wouldn't you agree yes it's very close <laughs> i totally agree and uh ned and betty thank you for this uh. <laughs> Yeah, he goes from boy to man in eight hours. I wish I would have seen this plane ride and taken notes because this guy has game. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, Betty's a good looking kid. Yeah. And and Ned, he's kind of job of the hut. Oh, uh, yeah, a little bit. And he has, and he's this big, huge nerd. Well, you want to play uh, Beastmasters or something <laughs> like that? Have you ever played any type of video game? No. <laughs> and uh, the part that I, after they get done with the. After they're done with the flight, they're walking through the airport. You again see this huge mural, mural or video of Tony Stark Iron Man. Oh yeah. And I'm thinking we are always reminded that Peter cannot escape Tony Stark. Okay. It's starting to be placed all over in this movie, and only Tony Stark <laughs> would make something totally about himself without even being there. <laughs> well, I mean, even on the plane when he goes to you know watch a movie. All of his movies are about, like, they're Netflix documentaries about the Avengers, including Iron Man's, which is Iron Heart, the Tony Stark legacy. <laughs> yeah. What were the other ones? There was one on Wakanda. I can't remember what they were. I just remember seeing oh. that. I was like, oh, I forgot about the movies that were on that thing. 
oh crap i wish i would have stopped the film like i meant to but then i forgot because yeah i wanted to see what the other three were and i vividly remember seeing like there was a purple and black one and it was called something wakanda yeah uh the class arrives in venice italy for their first stop they stay in a crummy hotel but they take time to enjoy the sights while peter tries to get a little bit closer to michelle mj uh, <laughs> really customs sees the st- spider suit and doesn't blink an eye steve no no they just can't bring the banana that's what they're looking for fruits yeah. and veggies i want to go to venice it looks amazing Good old Italy. It's the city uh, by the water. Yeah, it looks, it's, it looks fun, I guess. I don't uh, know. Not yeah. for me. Uh, J.B. Smoove, Mr. Dell. <laughs> this is exact. If you want to know, for those of you that know that I don't go on field trips, this is exactly who I am on field trips. <laughs> he was a side, 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 side character that every time he was on screen, I was dying laughing. Well, yeah, doesn't he at one point call them witches? Like He's like, oh, yeah, this, so this is the work of witches. <laughs> Well, his thing was, it was it, it, what it makes even funnier is that he's a science teacher. And he goes, <laughs> from a scientific perspective, it's witches. <laughs> you know? Yep. And, and that's a scientific that. teacher at a STEM school. <laughs> yeah. The soundtrack, I thought, at this point, it feels like the soundtrack from Euro Trip, which I think I'm okay with. And I don't know about you. For me, I took it when I was a senior in high school. We took a European trip. There was one that happened every four years. It happened to land on my senior year, which was kind of nice. And this hit so close to home for me because I remember this senior year European trip. Crush on a girl. Want to make it perfect before saying anything. I remember I had this thing planned out in Austria on this beautiful bridge. Oh, this, I'm watching this going. I know exactly what Peter is going through right now. <laughs> oh, oh, dang. Yeah. Yeah. This is. That's all you then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I've never had that opportunity. That's cool. And once again, Michelle kills it in every scene in this too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, the water levels on the ground rise, start rising. Soon, a massive water elemental begins to wreak havoc upon the city, using water to flood the city or destroy buildings. Peter tries to do something about it, but he left a spidey suit at the hotel. Womp womp. Beck arrives and uses his powers to fight the water elemental. He is able to subdue the creature's attacks before ultimately splitting the creature in two. He is seen as a hero by Peter's classmates, and after watching a news report on him, they start to call him Mysterio. This is our first action piece in the movie, Steve, and all I have to say is wow. Yeah, it's our first real look at everything on screen at an extended length of, extended length of time. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah, they they did not hold back in this scene. It was it was done very very well, except for maybe the CGI. What did you think about that? You know, there were a couple times when the water effects looked a little too artificial. Of all the things to make effects on, everybody knows water is the most difficult, and then fire is number two. But in this movie, we're gonna tackle both on a massive scale. Apparently, <laughs> oh, yeah. And I felt bad because you know. You said that going to Venice, it just looks amazing. I was like, damn, <laughs> ciao, Italy. Yep. <laughs> I, I was like, holy crap, all that history oh. is just gone. <laughs> and you know what? I really don't like it when I see smart mi- people making stupid decisions. Such as? Such as, you know, what does Peter do first thing? He shoots oh, webs yeah. at water. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I th- I thought, you know, in the words of Magneto from X-Men, I thought you lived at a school. 
<laughs> oh, I thought you were smart, man. Mysterio again showing up like a boss. New Iron Man, Steve? No. <laughs> that was emphatic. <laughs> Peter's wearing a mask. He gets like a little Halloween mask, but dude, he's still wearing the same clothes. I mean, kind of obvious you're Spider-Man, brother. It's no wonder that Michelle figured this shit out later. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's looking around to try to hide himself, and he finds, like, this little carnival mask. I'm like, really? At he's, least, like, if he would have found, like, a carnival costume. If he had taken that off That might have been his, almost just as funny. If he had taken off his flannel shirt and backpack, he would have been even more anonymous. He didn't even do that. He was like, I'm just going to keep carrying everything I've got. Well, you couldn't just get rid of the backpack. You had the uh, the, uh, the necklace in there. I want to make sure that was safe. I not want to just leave it somewhere. Uh, you're right. The Aunt May and Happy phone call. This is when he calls and Happy happens to be at May's work. And again, we get that Peter look of, why is Happy there? <laughs> yeah. But also, could May pick a look? Okay. I loved May in Homecoming. Yes. Don't like May now because she's wearing the mom pants. In this scene, she is. But when she yeah. throws a banana at him earlier, you don't see those. No, she's just wearing like a uh, like a little house summer spring dress. You know, I think I can't. I don't know. Maybe I can't remember. But this one just stuck out, and I think you see her wear the mom pants again at the end of the movie. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I was like, Marissa Tomei, why? Why are you hiding that? <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's just, she's got. But it's kind of funny because Aunt May and Happy remind me of like a mom who's like courting like somebody. That you're like, I know who the guy is. I don't know how I feel with him being a stepfather, but I know who he is. <laughs> and like Aunt May is just like she's like extremely flirty. Oh yes, she whole is. Scene with Happy, like she's trying to get Happy in trouble. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Say hi to Peter. It's like say hi to Peter. Hi Peter, <laughs> with his eyes closed and he's squinting. It's like maybe if I say hi, he just won't know it's me. Yeah. Type thing. <laughs> I'll try to. I'll try to do a good job of keep uh, taking care of your aunt. Ooh. Oh, God. <laughs> Dig it, buddy. <laughs> and then she does a little you know, blow him a kiss and then walks away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Peter and Ned go back to the room, but Ned gets tranquilized by Nick Fury. He has been trying to get Peter's attention and it hasn't worked until now. They have to leave the room to talk in private since everyone keeps interrupting them. Fury takes Peter to a secret hideout to meet Maria and Quentin Beck. Beck explains that he is from an alternate Earth, Earth 616, which is where the elementals are coming from. This was supposedly caused by the snap. And Beck claims that the fire elemental was the one that destroyed his home world and his family. Fury wants Peter's help in fighting Beck, but he feels he isn't the Avenger that is qualified to fight beings like these. I never put together the fact that Fury and Spider-Man never met, Steve. Yeah, I was trying to just think back of all the events that spider-man has been in and yeah there hasn't really been a need for fury to know him until now and you know fury missing five years i think i'd be frustrated too if a teenager was dodging my calls but fury in a teenage comedy i kind of works because he's that person that just be irritated by everything going on yeah he's he's the new grumpy old man <laughs> yeah well is he steve is fury the grumpy old man just saying i i don't know what fury is now because <laughs> of the ending it, of this movie well that and 
obviously you don't really realize anything until the ending of the movie, but through this whole exchange, it just seemed a little off. Yeah. And I absolutely loved the humor part of it and the whole exchange of this ever powerful that we all knew through 22 movies. <laughs> Nick Fury being after being constantly interrupted <laughs> is absolutely hilarious. Yes. <laughs> but I also but, think again and I'm going to you know what spoiler alert right now. Spoiler alert. Eh, eh, eh. Spoiler alert. If this was actually Nick Fury, he'd have locked the motherfucking door. <laughs> oh God! I think he would have. He would have been. Spider Man would have been kidnapped and brought to Fury. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. What do you think of Jake G as Quentin Beck in this beginning part here? I really liked it. His acting is, is a great fit for this movie. Yeah. It was a little kind of weird that there are two good guys tackling this unknown problem entity that we know very little about or mm -hmm. have any history, but is completely reaving, wreaking havoc and needs the uh, attention of Nick Fury. Right. So, I mean, it, I like Jake G in it. It was just weird to see two good guys. What did you think? Okay, so... This is kind of one of those things where I have to applaud what Sony and Marvel have done with Spider-Man. Because, you know, we talked about this with Homecoming, which is every time they gave you something that canonically was correct, they flipped it on its head and said, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something different with that character. We're not going to have Michelle. We're going to call her MJ. We're not going to do the Uncle Ben death. We're not going to... I mean, all the stuff that were tropes in the Spider-Man movies, they were not going to do. They were just flipping it on its head. And when they introduced Mysterio here, and they say, Mysterio is actually going to be a good guy here, and the elementals are the bad guys, you almost sit there and buy it, because you're like, you know what? This is the direction they're going in, and this is Spider-Man. They haven't led me wrong yet. I know Mysterio is a bad guy in the comics, but maybe he's not going to be in the our Marvel Cinematic Universe, or at least not yet. So I buy into it. Oh, they do a fantastic job with the writing and the script work and even the acting of believing that he's a good guy. Yes. And I knew very little of Mysterio. And when you see the trailers and hear even the name Mysterio, it's like, okay, this is the villain. Right. And then you kind of watch the movie. It's like, interesting. Well, it's even more interesting with the fact that he doesn't call himself Mysterio. The news people do. Yeah. And then when he references it later, like, excuse me, it's Mysterio. Yeah, he's buying <laughs> he into little, what people are calling him. He does his little, like, eyebrow raise, like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's just now that we know everything that happens with Quentin yeah. and his background story later, it all makes sense now of every single move and every single line he delivers to Nick Fury oh, yeah. and Spider-Man. It it's all part of the plan. Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, this is also the first overt mention of a multiverse. So they must have been at this point thinking ahead to Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. I thought earlier, didn't we discuss multiverses already at one point in the movie? Well, in Doctor Strange, they mention there are different um universes they okay. but this is the first time the word multiverse is actually used okay that's what i thought and that word specifically i know many people have gone what's the difference between what you just said multiverse means more because it's gonna be in a title later on 
So that 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 that's like okay. plant, that's planting a seed, if you will. Yeah. Um. I I still don't get it though. I mean, how could Beck mm-hmm. be from another universe mm-hmm. and get to the current one that he's on? I I I, I it, was it explained or it was not something? It was not explained, but. Think about what's just happened in the Marvel universe. And and Beck has a great line at the end of this movie, which I'm going to go to because it explains why people are so quick to believe everything. And he says, people need to believe. And nowadays, they'll believe anything. Yeah. Because who, like, you can't sit there saying, Thanos, please. That you've got to be, that's never going to happen. And then it yeah. does. So I, I buy into it, and I think that that's the whole point of this is can you discern what you can believe and what you can't believe at this point? No, no, you can't. I mean, no one would ever say, oh, my friends and my family are just going to turn to ash right in front of me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then five oh. years later, show back up at the dinner table. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love Peter's line, Thor was a myth, and now I study him in my physics class. They're they're, they're just little lines that are so smart to the world building and the world evolving around it. But then we get a line that just this this exchange between Fury and Peter pisses me off because he goes, what can't you call on any of the other Avengers for this? He goes, what about Thor off world? Yeah, yeah, he went with the dot. We went went with Guardians. I can buy that. Doctor Strange unavailable. What is he doing? Is he just dealing with the multiverse of madness then? I don't know. And then he says, what about Captain Marvel? And he says, don't invoke her name. What is that bull? Yeah, that was that was weird. I mean, I can buy everything up to maybe Captain Marvel, but maybe be just because Captain Marvel, this is this isn't pager worthy. He doesn't feel yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? OK, here's a question for you. Maybe this theory doesn't think so yet. But do you think the other Fury would? <laughs> I completely forgot about all that already. <laughs> yeah, it could. God dang it. I don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> and I think th- that's something where when you look at the end of this movie and you go, oh, that's where they're going with this. You kind of need to watch this again and go, you're right. These are all decisions that our normal Nick Fury probably would not have made. There's no way Nick Fury would have gone to Spider-Man of all the characters for this mission. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's like you really need to watch this multiple times because it's almost like every time that you watch it, you find something new. And it's like, and I, that's the common theme for this movie is you don't know really what's what anymore. Yes. And could we say that could be the theme of Phase Five? I mean, Phase Four. We haven't done Phase Four yet. I think this is the end of phase four. No, 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 no. This is the end of phase three. Oh. Yeah. Fury hijacks the classification by having his employee, Dimitri, act as a driver to their new and unexpected destination, Prague, as Fury and Beck have learned that's where the fire elemental is set to strike. Okay. Fury still has some pull. Good to see. Yeah. Before heading out, Peter is taken by a tall woman sent by Fury to give him a stealth suit. She orders him to take off his clothes and put it on, but he is found by Brad who takes a pick of Peter in what looks like a compromising position. Peter runs after him to get rid of the pick, but Brad says he knows that Peter likes MJ too, and he thinks showing her this will make her lean more toward Brad. On their trip, Peter finds Tony's high-tech glasses, Edith, which stands for Even Dead, I'm the Hero. 
<laughs> which, which Tony left for his successor. Peter asks Edith to handle Brad, which is misinterpreted as a request for an attack. Peter has to somewhat discreetly stop the incoming drone from killing Brad, as well as the whole class. He just has Edith hack into Brad's phone and delete the picture. Even dead, I'm the hero. This, this is the man with a plan, always. Yes, contingencies upon contingencies. Gosh. But isn't the Edith scene the same as the Karen scene with instant kill? Yeah, it's just a little less personable. Uh, okay, yeah, because Karen was voiced by Jennifer Connelly. Uh, Edith yes. is not voiced by a recognizable actress. Okay. Yeah. Now, did you expect that woman he meets with, the tall woman, to be somebody? I, yes, I did. Okay, because she's literally nobody. Yes. Yeah, that doesn't make sense in the MCU these in, days. <laughs> yeah, in the movie, if you look at the casting at the end of it, she is called the seamstress. Now, the seamstress in the comics is a character, and it's a dude named Leo Zelinsky. In this, they made it a woman, but they didn't call her a name. They didn't give her a name in the movie until the credits. This, I think, is what you would consider stunt casting then. So when you look at the credits, it doesn't have the actual actress's name. It says the seamstress, or it just says seamstress, and then the character well, actress's it, name. It says seamstress, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, but yeah there's more than meets the eye. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, very transformable. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, I love the drone scene, but if but Steve, if Edith can do this, why is it the first time we're seeing this? I mean, Edith was created before Stark's death, and I'm pretty sure they could have used it during Infinity War or even during Endgame. Would this have really made a difference in what they were battling? It would have taken care I, of at least some of the of Thanos' oh. army. And then he would have ran out of drones. I always believed Edith was around as a safety measure in case everybody survived and the world came back to normal, which it did. So, again, this is the man with contingency plans on backup plans. So Dark was just preparing for life after the blip, thinking that he wasn't going to be around. Okay. All right. It does say even dead, I'm the hero. So I guess you wouldn't plan on using these when you're alive. Yeah. I, and I just I I don't even want to call it the snap anymore. <laughs> I like calling it the blip. Nope, and I hated nope, it at first. Nope. <laughs> nope, we're calling it the snap. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> After arriving in Prague, Mr. Harrington tells the students that they were given tickets to the opera, which ruins their plans to go to the carnival. But it was planned by Fury to keep Peter's friends inside to avoid being caught in the path of the fire elemental. Okay, responsible teachers would definitely make this choice anyway. That being said, these teachers are like, hey, go to the carnival. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you guys glad you go to this opera as the, as the fun is walking the other direction? <laughs> <laughs> For four hours. <laughs> and, then, and then I like how, uh, oh, God, what the, the science teacher, he goes, again, don't look at me. <laughs> oh, JB Smoove? <laughs> yeah, not my idea. <laughs> uh, Parker meets with Fury and Beck to plan how to attack the fire elemental. And Fury kind of snaps at Peter before this mission. I'm sorry. This is not very motivating. Something is wrong with Fury in this movie, Steve. Yeah, I, Fury isn't the same all-powerful Fury. I feel like he's losing respect. And yeah, there 
There's something screwy going on I, here. There, I think so. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think. I'm going to go back here at all the movies we've done here. I think the last time we've seen Nick Fury as actual Nick Fury was Civil War. You mean as in like the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Because he's not in Doctor Strange. He's not no. in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. He's not in Homecoming. He's not in Thor Ragnarok. He's not in Black Panther. He's not in Infinity War. Is he? Uh, I can't remember it. I mean, the last, I mean, you got Captain Marvel. He's at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp when he almost swears when he's doing the beeper. Yeah. But yeah, then the, so Captain Marvel is kind of like the rebirth of this Nick Fury. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like this Nick Fury. Yeah. I mean, he's not the full on Nick Fury in Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Towards the end of the movie, I feel like he is. Yeah. But. I, I, I don't know. Yes, uh, I'm kind of liking Hall in this role right now. Start. I mean, it starts to fill in the father slash older brother role that was left vacant from Stark. And honestly, his character seems like a really worthy fill in for that. It's all part of the plan. <laughs> it's so great. Peter is forced to stay outside and be on the lookout, which ruins his plan to sit next to MJ. She follows him outside, and Ned and Be- Betty follow since they think the other two are headed for the carnival. Outside, the fire elemental emerges and begins to rampage. Spider and Mysterio team up against the beast, trying to avoid letting it touch metal, or else it will get more powerful. Ned and Betty are trapped on the Ferris wheel as Spidey tries to save them, while Mysterio fights the fire elemental. Spidey fires a web at the beast, which pulls something out of it and makes it land near a hidden MJ. <gasps> Mysterio then uses his powers to dive into the fire elemental's chest and destroy it. Peter goes down to make sure he is okay. However, he still gets chewed out by Fury for not doing what he told him to. Peter missing his moment with Michelle is rough because this is the personal battle for this movie. In the first, his villain was his girlfriend's dad. In this movie, his battle on the personal front is with managing to prioritize when he can and can't be Spider-Man. And where have we seen that before? Oh, yeah, Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire. And now that we've called that out, guess what, super nerds? That's always been the battle Peter has, so take that. Yeah. Uh, We get another cool elemental battle. Which one did you like better, Steve, the fire or the water? I don't know. They're both, they all have their pros and cons. I probably, if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick the fire. But the elemental just looks like a big, goopy glob. That was just evolving, and it just looked weird at times. Yeah. But what you can do and how he can get bigger by absorbing their metal, I thought was really neat. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I also thought there's probably a good chance that they were like, ooh, how do we do this character? And somebody goes, can we just call the guys that did Surtur in Ragnarok? Oh, jeez, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Which one do you like better? I like the fire one better because I think it matches better with what Spider-Man can fight. Really? Because he just tried to throw webs at him and grab something out of this molten lava. Wouldn't that like vaporize the web as it's going into this thing? Yeah, but he also threw webbing at water, which is even less effective. Oh, I totally agree. Both of them are completely (laughs) ineffective, but for for some reason, this one worked. Night monkey. (laughs) Dude. 
great save, Ned. Yeah, really. <laughs> the man in the chair. <laughs> uh, and, you know, this goes back to what you just asked me. You know, these elementals are not the right villains for Spider-Man's skill set. So why would Fury want him for this? Fury is better than this. He's a strategic guy. The only superhero around. That's who Spider-Man's got. That's who Nick Fury's got. Spider-Man is the only superhero around other than Mysterio. He, Nick Fury does not know anything really about Mysterio. It just shows up. What about Scarlet Witch? She could have handled Unavail- this. Unavailable. Uh, d- no. <laughs> we just saw a movie with upwards of 50 characters to choose from. Only four of them are not with us anymore. And he went with, of all the characters, the one whose skill set can't do anything against water and fire. Okay. <laughs> Let's say we did grab Scarlet Witch. Okay. This movie would be over right there. But didn't you want kind of want to see Scarlet Witch do more than what she did? Oh, well, there's multiple reasons why I want to see Scarlet Witch. That's definitely one of them. But it's just, <laughs> I would be better off with the Scarlet Witch. Oh, they are doing that. It's called what kind of vision? Uh, WandaVision. Oh, Wakanda, Waka, Wakanda Vision? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Wakanda Vision is the network in Wakanda. <laughs> oh, great save, Joe. Thank great you. Save. <laughs> As the gang moves to Berlin, Peter and Beck are called by Fury and Maria to discuss forming a new team. Peter privately meets with Beck, and Peter thinks that Beck is the one that truly deserves Edith, since he thinks Tony only left it for him to choose who is worthy of succeeding Iron Man. Steven is so eerie how much Jake Gyllenhaal looks like Robert Downey Jr. when he puts the glasses on. I I almost shivered when I saw this. I was like, holy crap. Like, you almost expect the fact that he had a beard to be the reason why they had him wear a beard for this. Oh, I completely agree. It's it's insane on how much they look alike. The glasses do a lot. Yeah, yeah. And... The two actors, Tom Holland and Jake Gyllenhaal, they got fantastic chemistry. It, it's it's a sh- I, this is why I wish they would have kept Mysterio as a good guy for this movie because I think they could have done a trilogy of movies with these two. Really? I think you they could have Mysterio for three movies or at least two. If you don't reveal that Mysterio's actually bad, and you have them fighting just the elementals, but you still have the moment in the bar where it's alluded that guess what? He has something that Peter doesn't know about. You could build that into a trilogy of movies for Sony because those two could they're talking about doing the Sinister Six and bringing Venom and and Carnage and all that stuff. And wouldn't it be fantastic to see the second movie be Mysterio and Spider-Man taking on Venom and Carnage? Maybe. And that's I think. And that is when Peter realizes that he's actually alone because Mysterio is working with those two. Well, I mean, I. I still like the reveal that they did in this movie. Okay. I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, if they would have kept him a good guy throughout the entire movie, mm-hmm. uh, this would have dropped a lot more because the, because the antagonist is just weaker beyond weak because we don't know anything about it. Yeah. Well, I think when I say good guy, you know, there's the, there's the audience knowledge and then there's the character's knowledge. And Peter... Yeah. You know, when they have the bar scene in this afterwards, and he kind of reveals his speech, his evil villain monologue, which is fantastic. When they do that, I think you keep that in there because then the audience is aware and they're sitting there going, when will Peter find out? Yeah. And, and every scene gives the audience that little wink like, we know he's doing this for a different reason than Peter thinks. And 
it makes it much I, I think that'd be a, a better way to keep an actor like Gyllenhaal and what he did with this role. It's like, you know, when we wanted more Michael Keaton from The Vulture. Yeah. You know, and they put him in a postcard scene to keep him around. Yeah. I and, don't know. And he's going to be in, uh, in Morbius. Who? Michael oh, Keaton's Vulture. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know what I love about the scene is that Peter's dialogue is written in the same way that RDJ would say it. And it's almost like Peter's already the next Tony Stark and he doesn't even know it. Yeah, I agree. What got me on that wagon was when he's sitting there and he's talking with Beck and goes, no, this is exactly what I wanted. And Edith in his ear says, do you want to confirm? And he just turns on a dime and goes, confirmed. And then looks back over. And mm-hmm. like, that's a Robert Downey Jr. cue right there. That, that quick thinking on, on his feet. And Steve, I really like Mysterio's advice to Peter in this scene. There's nothing sinister here. No, he's he's playing his part well. <laughs> yeah. And then we get this. After Peter leaves, Beck takes down and what what has been a whole illusion in a dilapidated building. Everyone there works for him, and they are all disgruntled former employees of Stark Industries. Beck has been making up the elementals to get people to see him as the hero, using drones to create the destruction left behind by their appearances. He and everyone there have been pissed at Tony for stealing their work. His binary augmented retroframing, or BARF, and they have all worked together to get people to forget about Iron Man or Spider-Man and to make way for Mysterio. This is the biggest fooled you <laughs> moment of the entire MCU. All those times now thinking back and thinking of Mysterio and how he was planting the seeds from this moment all the way before, I was like, oh, you dog. <laughs> and you- I, I was completely shocked and floored when this actually took place. Yeah, I love this twist. Jake Gyllenhaal leans into this speech like he's racing a motorcycle. It's a great villain's monologue. And the fact that they brought in previous story points in the Marvel Universe and different characters that were influenced in those parts. I mean, that was just so brilliant to do in the final movie of this saga. Oh, I absolutely loved it. I thought they went all the way back to Iron Man 1. Yes. (laughs) I was like, whoa, this guy's been doing his homework and he's got the right people. So, yeah, it's the kid. It's. It's Ralphie from A Christmas Story. I didn't really realize that until I was typing all this up, and I saw that you wrote that. I was like, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I could totally see it. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, the reason he was in Iron Man originally was because he was he's best friends with John Favreau. Okay. So it made sense that, you know, Happy Hogan's going to be in this, and they're like, well, what do you want to do? And Favreau's kind of an executive producer on all these movies. He's like, hey, let's bring in my buddy again. He hasn't been in these movies for about 22 god how cool would it have been like if he's like working at like his desk area doing all the computer simulations for mysterio and then there's like a little pink bunny bobblehead (laughs) if it was just something small or something to reference that that would have been freaking awesome i almost wonder if there is and we just never noticed another reason to watch this one again i'm in Peter goes back to the hotel to invite MJ to go out with him without anybody else. As he tries to tell her how he feels, she cuts him off to reveal she knows he's Spider-Man due to the many coincidences involving them being in the same places at the same time. She then pulls out what she found at the site of the fire elemental fight, a projector that that shows Mysterio fighting the as-yet-unseen air elemental. The two realize that Beck is behind the elementals and that he is a fraud. When Michelle calls him out as Spider-Man, 
It's kind of what we were all thinking. It's obvious. Well done, Marvel and Sony, for calling this out. <laughs> I remember when we had our chat after the movie, when we finally were able to talk about this. Mm-hmm. You loved this scene, this exchange between Michelle and Peter Parker. At least I'm consistent. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely loved it because it was... Yeah, it was the obvious thing, and they totally went a different way with it. Yes, but it's got a moment in there where you're just like, you just feel for Peter when he says, were you only watching me because you thought I was Spider-Man? Oh, oh, and her reaction, you're just like, oh, no, no. Yeah, she's like, yeah, why else would I be watching you? Right. Yeah, she's just kind of (laughs) strange. Yeah, she is the master of awkwardness. Yes, yes, she is. Uh, okay, so okay, so Aunt May, Ned, Michelle, MJ. Peter Parker's really not worrying about anonymity the way he has in the past, is he? The people extremely close to him, he's okay with knowing. Yeah. But as soon as you start giving a little bit of leeway, that's when things spiral. Yeah, and you know what? I know that these two actors are older than 16, but they were born to play awkward 16-year-olds. <laughs> I guess, because that was probably one of the only things that was really holding me up on this is these people are, they don't look like they're, I mean, I know before in Homecoming, I think you mentioned that he's, he looks he was, like a 16 year old. He was, he was 17 when they filmed that one, playing a 15 year old. I can't believe that. That's now, now you figure he's probably around 20 playing a 16 year old. So. Yeah. But he's also, he hasn't exactly grown since that time. So he's got kind of the same body. (laughs) Yeah, he's still got that boyish kind of figure and awkwardness. But I don't don't know. That could be just really good acting on his part. Right, right. I don't want to take that away from him. Anything else? Yeah. when, (laughs) When Peter's getting dressed and Ned stumbles upon MJ and (laughs) Peter... Oh, Spider-Man, I guess, because he's getting dressed in his black night monkey outfit. outfit. Yeah, which, you know, when that first showed up, we never talked about that. What did you think of the new outfit? Well, okay. Um, My problem with the outfit is that Spider-Man's previous outfits were all made by Tony Stark. Well, except the very, very first one when he was in sweats. Okay, okay, yes, obviously that one. But all of his, but like when he was in his sweats, he wasn't bulletproof. Tony Stark's technology made the suit bulletproof for the most part. Yeah. Well, Tony Stark didn't make this suit. So I don't I just thought it was like he was just wearing black and he had goggles. Well, I mean, it looked like it was like uh it looked like he had a bulletproof vest on. It looked like a tactical jacket, yeah. Yeah. So there's your bulletproof. Sure. <laughs> okay. No, I totally <laughs> I guess, you know, at first when I saw it, I didn't really like it because it wasn't your traditional looking tech suit yeah which is what i really like because it fitted him better and this just took it back to his original suit and all the sweats so it looked a little i don't want to say sloppy it wasn't as sloppy as the first suit but this was the perfect in between minor upgrade from the sweatpants suit to the stark tech suit well here's a question for you think about what spider-man does in this suit exactly um wouldn't this have been a better mission for Black Panther? Oh, yeah. So why wasn't he called? 
Steve. Again, this is not this is this is not the same Nick Fury. <laughs> There's something screwy here. Yes, there is. Okay, do you want to go back to your comment but, you were saying yeah. here? So then stumbles upon Michelle, MJ, what do you whatever you want to call <laughs> and Spider-Man, and they're talking and everything there, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, they want to keep this then close the goddamn door. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody could see out there that, you know, Peter Parker's getting dressed as Spider-Man and that these people are having an all-out conversation mm-hmm. about everything that's going on. I was like, Dude, close the damn door. Why are you leaving it so wide open? Right, right, right. I it know. It was just awkward for me. I'm sorry. Uh, as I'm Beck, okay now. As Beck and his goons prepare for the air elemental Avengers level attack, they find that the missing projector from one of their drones is in Peter's hands. Now, this is a cool scene because it actually shows Quentin being like a director and an editor working on a film. And I think that this is a really smart way to, of the selling the illusion powers of Mysterio from the comics. Make it so it's like a movie, and he's directing a movie. I like that. Yeah, yeah it was really cool to see because he's the mastermind, and he is behind every little detail of his plan. Yeah, he's just not—he's relying on others for the technology, but you can tell in his demeanor and how he delivers things from the computer-generated holograms that he's doing all mm-hmm. the way down to his nice cape that needs to be steamed. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's in control of everything, and they're just like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. So, okay, so so Beck actually doesn't want to kill Parker. He's angry because he's forced to because it's the only way of him completing his plan. And I personally love it when the enemies have started as friends because there's a personal element to it then. Yes, I agree. Peter goes to meet with Fury and Maria about Beck's true motives, but it turns out Beck has caught up to Peter first and has created an entire illusion to trap him. He taunts Peter for not being the hero he wants to be and even forces him to endure a projection of Tony bursting from his grave and coming out to terrorize him. It appears as though Fury subdues Beck and asks Peter who else he told about Beck. And he admits that he told MJ, Ned, and that Ned probably told Betty. This turns out to be another one of Beck's tricks, and now he knows to kill Peter's friends. He also puts Peter in the path of a train, which appears to strike him, but Peter is merely hurt because this is fucking fiction, and he passes out on the train. Okay, this whole sequence is fantastic. The illusions upon illusions upon illusions, preying on Parker's fears and motivations. It is so surreal, and it is so powerful. There's a couple scenes that are like this in the MCU, and I can think of the Doctor Strange mm-hmm. montage. The second one is eluding me. Help me out. Ant-Man? Where was Ant-Man? Yeah, going through the quantum realm, and then this one. Yeah. Where would you put this one among those three? This is this is my top one. Okay. This is my top. They, they When it came to how they filmed this, they could have really botched this hard. But, you know, you, you kind of turned me on to the idea of, you know, if you don't have surround sound, listen to it with headphones. Yeah. And when you listen to this with headphones... It is haunting when you hear Beck's voice over it. Well, it's interesting because the audio took a total change in this film mm-hmm. because I'm watching it in my room and this whole scene got extremely loud. Oh, yeah. And yeah, this I you know preached about watching the movie and headphones in the last podcast. And this is something I could not do because the wife wanted to watch it again. Yeah, eh, that's OK. But. 
I I had to turn it down a lot because Beck's voice was just booming through my speakers. Mm-hmm. So and, yeah, but, it would be interesting to go back and watch this with headphones. It's kind of funny because it did that on the headphones also, and I I thought the reason for that was he's not just assaulting Peter's sight; he's assaulting all of his senses. Yes, and so you as the audience member are meant to feel that assault also. And that's the thing that Spider-Man movies do they relate well to the audience so that the audience feels like they're with peter parker the entire time yeah the tombstone with stark's name on it now personally listen i think creatively it should have been his headstone next to uncle ben's but being that we've never really mentioned uncle ben i guess we're just gonna go with tony here yeah and i'm sorry steve the train the train should have killed him again apparently peter is indestructible (laughs) I, I don't I don't feel like Peter Parker is in danger at all in these movies. And that is a big problem for me because if there's no danger, there's no personal stakes. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that in Homecoming. Yeah. And the building falls on him. And then when this train hits him, I was just like, you know what? Cap should be taking notes on how to take <laughs> big blows to the body. Maybe he would have sold that falling out of a building problem <laughs> a little bit better. Well, he did land on the vibranium shield, which actually mitigates some of the fall. But yeah. we won't get into the the, the 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 fantastic physics of vibranium. <laughs> For those of you who want to hear that discussion, listen to the Winter Soldier podcast. Yes, and then you too give it an A. Um, <laughs> Peter wakes up in a jail cell in the Netherlands. After breaking out, he calls Happy to come get him. A couple things. One, the Netherlands soccer hooligans in jail all know Peter's face now. They really? know he's the night monkey. How? Because oh, the oh. warden is wearing his fucking mask. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So that's five more but people the, that know. Oh, well, but the Netherlands, they're not going to do anything. They're so nice. <laughs> they're so nice. Yeah, but Steve, if you had to call someone, are you sure you could remember the number by heart? He's a super nerd. Do you this know my just... number by heart? You I'm call me near we, we talk to each other nearly every day. No, but I can just go to my phone and say, "Hey, <laughs> call Hey Siri, call Joe." Yeah, you know, this is somebody else's phone where he doesn't have that, and it just could be that one lifeline. Like, but then again, I think I know my wife's cell phone number. <laughs> I know, I know. So my if you phone were in number. prison, if you were in jail, could you call your wife with your one phone call? Just say no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and that's, that's just as scary. <laughs> After this podcast, you're going to sit down and memorize all nine numbers, <laughs> all ten numbers. <laughs> I know my phone number from when I used to live in California when I was four years old. Mm-hmm. I know that number now that I probably know any other number that I've ever had. Yep. Besides my own. While Happy tends to his wounds, Peter breaks down and says that he doesn't get why Tony would pick him as a successor when he keeps screwing everything up. Happy reassures him that Tony believed him, believed in him for a reason, and they knew Peter would be the hero he needs to be. Peter picks himself up and goes to recreate himself suit from Tony's computer before they head to London to rescue his friends. I got a Alfred and Bruce Wayne vibe off of this scene. Did you, Steve? DC knows how to do it. Yeah, a little bit. When Alfred, when when Alfred, when Happy is working on Peter's back, I'm like, I've seen this before. Oh yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. Now, now I'm totally seeing it. Yeah, yeah. actually, no, even I so, far, even when the plane lands and 
Happy's coming off the plane and Peter's walking up to him. I thought of Batman Begins when Alfred meets with Christian Bale. Oh, okay. Didn't put that together. And I'm sorry, Tom Holland just acts the hell out of this scene. It is so good how how he can show that emotional range for this character. This scene took me away from the movie yep. and put me solely on solely on Tom Holland as an actor. Yeah. And very rarely does that happen in a movie, but it's just still you know, like, holy crap, this is good. It just goes <laughs> to show that these are not just pretty faces in an action movie, that they're all great actors that they put in these spots. Chris Hemsworth, Tom Holland. Yeah. Two uh, probably extremely underrated actors mm-hmm. prior to the MCU. And then they took this mantle and... I believe they took the most out of this entire saga. Oh, I think so also. I think that they- everybody else was pretty established. Uh, maybe Chris Evans. I don't know. Well, maybe maybe RDJ just because he was pretty much left on the on the scrap heap before Iron Man. Yeah, talk about changing the man's life for the better. Exactly. All the stuff that he was in. When Peter is making the suit, I mean, it's it's hard not to notice that his actions mirror a lot of what Tony would do with his technology. And this is the passing of the torch moment that we have been waiting for. And the best part is it doesn't happen in a battle. It happens in the workshop. Yeah, at first I was bothered by this scene because I'm like, how the hell does he know how to use Tony's technology that quick? Yeah. And I had an issue with that in another movie, but that was more legitimate. And that's when Harvey was dealing with all of Tony's technology because he was a kid. Yeah, right. But the second time I watched this, I was like, you know what? This kid's Peter Parker is a super nerd. And it's pretty user friendly also. Uh, I, I guess so. It's just. I mean, it's all voice commands anyway. He is, but how he manipulates things with his hands. When he, he puts his arm so into fluid. the thing, I'm like, that's straight out of Iron Man. Oh, it totally is. And you totally see that on Happy's face. Yep. And then he plays some ACDC back in black. And Tom Holland. <laughs> Peter Parker says, oh, I love Led Zeppelin. Oh, Jesus. It just reminded us that he's this that generation yeah right there and that was just it's such a great proud father-like scene for happy and then the kid screws up with that yeah right oh, dang it <laughs> uh the class is taking a tour bus ride around london but it's driven by one of beck's goons they stop on the london bridge as mysterio gets the air elemental ready to attack spidey shows up in a new suit for battle Happy goes to get Ned, MJ, Betty, and Flash, but his jet gets blown up and they have to hide in a medieval tower as the drones go after them. They hide in a room, but MJ manages to knock down a drone with a mace before having to stay locked in a room. You gotta love the planning process with Happy and Peter. There's a there's the finger t- Peter tingle again. <laughs> yeah, I, every time they mention that, I love Peter's expression. It's like, don't call it a Peter tingle. Gosh. Yep. And I think of all the suits, this one might be the coolest one because it, the blue is gone now. It's black. It's red and black now, which kind of makes sense because as he's designed the suit, he's playing back in black. <laughs> and you have to know if this movie was made by any other studio, one of these kids would have died in this battle. Really? There's no way. There's no way they would have survived half of this. And when you mean the kids, these kids, like one of the main characters. Flash or... specifically should have died in this with his camera in the air going, oh, I need to videotape this from a flash mob. <laughs> <laughs> such a tool he is but, a tool he is a tool but and I, I i forgot to mention this earlier but the other guy i can't remember brad the one who's going at brad 
he took the tool mantle away from Flash. It's almost like you know, you kind of liked Flash a little bit more in this in this movie just because of how you've accepted the fact that he's a dick and everything that he's doing. But that's exactly what the kids would do nowadays. They would film everything. To their so death. you kind of re- yeah, you kind of relate to it a little bit. It's the new normal. <laughs> We, see, we get to see Michelle using the mace, which I'm like, yeah, beat the hell out of that drone. And then we get happy trying to throw a shield. And he, <laughs> and he says, how does Cap do that? That's so funny. That was great. It went like two feet and fell to the ground. Because, <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot about that. And he throws the shield. I'm like, oh, there's the Cap reference. And then he says at the end, I was like, oh, there's the real Cap reference. He mentioned that. He mentioned him by name. I was like, oh, that's great. And this bothered me because I hate when people try to take nerdy things and try to make themselves look cool by using nerdy things to give them street cred, but not knowing what the hell they're talking about. Because Mr. Harrington says it's they're joining forces like the Power Rangers and (laughs) J.B. Smooth says, no, Voltron. Listen, super nerds, you don't get to invoke these things just because, you know, you can they actually both combine to make big fucking things. There's, there's no need for a correction here. Yeah, I, That's I like saying, this. I love ham. No, you like pig. The same goddamn animal. Yeah, I, this went over my head. I didn't, I, maybe because I was never into any of that. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. They wanted to make them, they wanted to involve those two somehow. And it kind of felt a little forced. Spidey enters the illusion of the air elemental and webs all the drones together to get them to crash and break the illusion. He proceeds to destroy more drones before Mysterio has him cornered and faces a horde of drones directed at him while under an illusion. Using his spider sense, his Peter Tingle, Spider dodges all the drones, destroys them all, and in the chaos, one of them shoots Mysterio. Peter goes to get Edith, but Beck attempts one last illusion to kill him, and it fails leaving Beck to die in disgrace. Peter then disables all the drones. This is so freaking cool. The inside of the illusion is so cool. I felt like you and everybody else in the audience, again, the movie does uh, a great job of expressing, getting the audience to feel just like Spider-Man. When Mm -hmm. he finally gets in and says, whoa, he's in like this (laughs) super dangerous situation. This is so cool. Yeah. (laughs) And that whole fighting montage with Spider-Man, in my opinion, is by far the best we have seen. We get Maria Hill saving Fury's ass, and I still maintain <laughs> Maria and Fury should have been two more added to the original crew, and it should have been the original eight, because Maria Hill rarely makes a misstep. And Fury just says, you got me? I got gotcha. you. <laughs> it's like, how do you discredit those two? Yeah. I think this is in my top five action sequences in the MCU. Outside of the Avenger movies, this is in the top five for me. Oh. Spider-Man gets on the bridge. He's holding a shield like Cap and a drone projector like Thor holding Mjolnir. And this is your one more echo to the original Avengers. It's fantastic for the final movie in this saga. You know what? He's taking the mantle of everybody here. I when I first saw that I was I, I I got the shield right away yeah 
And it wasn't until we really started talking about it that the Masons were supposed to represent Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. And it totally fits. Yeah. It's so cool that the fact that they did that. I didn't get the, the Maser or the projector right off the bat. It was supposed to represent Thor. So what was, uh, so I guess his super strength was supposed to represent Hulk. Yeah. And then we get the spider sense. The It's finally used in a battle. And I think in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, in eight Spider-Man movies, this is the best it's ever been used. Yeah, we finally get to see the spider sense in action, and I hope they really go with this Yeah, in the next movie. Yeah, they, they did a great job of him basically blocking everything out, and things don't show up until he attacks them, and he just knows exactly where they are. It's it reminds me of the choreographed fight between Kenobi and Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith, where they just both knew their actions before they were coming. And we get a, a line I mentioned earlier. It's Mysterio's last words alive. People need to believe. And nowadays, they'll believe anything. And I think, I got a feeling, that these are going to mean a lot more to the overall narrative of the next set of Marvel films. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, you, like, like like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, you just feel different. Yeah. You yeah. went through this ride and you went through this experience and nothing is ever the same. Mm-hmm. And that quote, it, it's a lot. That's a top five quote right there. I think so. Yeah, I think I think in another 10 movies or so, we'll look back at that quote right there going, wow, that really set the tone for everything. And if that does truly, this is the perfect movie to bridge the next phase of the MCU. Took the words out of my mouth, man. Uh, afterwards, Spider-Man and MJ run onto the bridge to meet each other. They acknowledge their mutual feelings and they kiss. Fury tries to get Peter again, but Happy tells him to leave the kid alone since he's with his new girlfriend. This is a nice, happy ending. We haven't had one of these in a while. <laughs> yeah, when... The exchange between Fury and Happy, that really solidified me. Okay, there is something off because this is not the same Fury. He has like, I mean, I know you mentioned that he had some pull still, but Mm -hmm. he's still not the intimidating Fury at all. Right. There's no way that he would allow Peter (laughs) to just walk off in the sunset without meeting with him and have Happy talk to him like that. Exactly. There's something screwy here. I agree. (laughs) The students return home. Peter sits Happy and May down to discuss their apparently developing relationship. But while Happy thinks they are an item, May thinks they just had a summer fling. Peter then goes out to meet MJ for a date as Spidey. He takes her for a swing around the city, although the heights freak her out. Um, no, 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 no. (laughs) Why do this to Happy and May? They should have left it alone and just let it grow. I think there's still room for growth now that I think about it because they both reacted differently. And I thought that was great because it's still like Peter sat down and he wanted an answer and he didn't get one really (laughs) because one thought the one way, the other thought the opposite. And they know they might have had something, but it's over. But one believes that it's still going on. So there's no true answer. So ah, you have not seen the end of these two. I hope not. I love Michelle's reaction while swinging with Spider-Man because it is so authentic. Yeah. <laughs> that would it be is, frightening. It was. It's almost like they really took her on a ride through the freaking city or put her on a, 
a spot like a roller coaster or something to get her reactions. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something that happened. I feel like I'm the only one thinking this. I don't think so. They 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 put Flash on camera when they got out of the airport mm-hmm. when he's getting picked up, and he says, "Mother hasn't showed up," and the limo driver doesn't do anything. He just goes, mm. and then that's it. Right. I feel like there's something about Flash that we haven't seen yet, and I I feel he's going to he's still going to be a major player, other than his douche tool friend. I say that loosely. Uh, it's just my hunch. What do you think? Okay, so I I felt like that was supposed to. I guess this movie was supposed to end the Infinity Saga. And in doing so, you kind of want to see everybody in the best light you can possibly see them. And we've always said Flesh the douche. He's just he's just the biggest douche. Uh, he'd be great to see if he was in a movie with Justin Hammer at some point. But this scene kind of gives you a little bit of a step back to go, you know what? His parents aren't around. You got to feel bad for the guy. He doesn't have that. Well, want to pick him up from I- the airport? Yeah, it shows that he has a crappy home life. Plus, he idolizes his- and he idolizes Spider-Man. So you can't see him really becoming a villain to Spider-Man because he looks up to Spider-Man. I, <gasps> Although, I just see it budding into like he's like a new Green Goblin. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. okay. So let's read the next to this, and then we'll go into this. Okay. Okay, because I, I think I've, I've put some things together here. Okay. So, <laughs> okay, so the mid credit scene, after their date, Spidey drops MJ off in the streets, but they overhear a breaking news broadcast in the middle of the city. Apparently, Beck recorded a video before his death and sent it to the Daily Bugle. It is shown by none other than the ruthless and antagonistic chief editor, the man from Whiplash, yes. J. Jonah Jameson, J.K. Simmons, baby! And what plays is a doctored video uh, done by Beck to make people think Spider-Man orchestrated the drone attacks on London. Beck then outs Spider-Man as Peter Parker to the whole city, leaving New Yorkers in disbelief over their hero and putting Peter in a very troubling position. Now, before I go completely berserk here on the J. Jonah Jameson thing, what? because I just said, you know, we see Flash in different light because he idolizes Spider-Man, but now he realizes that Peter is Spider-Man. And he hates Peter, so maybe I think you're right now. Maybe this is the Flash turn, the Flashpoint. It, it, it makes sense because now he feels like he's been cheated. Yeah. Now he wants to get back at Peter, and now he's pissed at Spider-Man. He's pissed at Peter. Like I said, I, I, when I first saw this, I was like, maybe he's going to be the new Green Goblin. Well, Flash, I believe Flash Thompson in the comics becomes one of, you know, the, the more impressive villains in I'm, pull, I'm pulling it up right now. He uh, let's see. Flash becomes. Venom. Because yeah, I don't know. Oh. Yeah, he becomes Venom. Oh, oh, hell yes. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. But now, then that totally contradicts what the hell they just did in Venom. Well, right, right. But also, I don't know if you remember the original Tobey Maguire movies. Yeah. Do you remember who played Flash Thompson in those movies? Uh, I see his face. I don't know his name. But it was... Uh, Joe Manganiello. It was a, yeah, it was some bigger, more... He would have been a cool... Fl- he would have been a cool Venom. Yeah, he would have fit the part a lot better. 
Okay, now let's get into the real shocker. The real okay. twist of this scene. <laughs> you got to explain it to me. Yeah. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson. They brought back J.K. Simmons to play the role that many thought was missing from Homecoming because he was so great in the first three Tobey Maguire movies as J. Jonah Jameson. When you see him here, first of all, my reaction was, thank God he's back. But also, does this make the other Spider-Man movies canon? Because they've already mentioned a multiverse. And if J. Jonah Jameson is this in this iteration, then he could be the other one in the other iterations, which means they could all be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Steve. So does that mean we're going to see Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, and Tom Holland, Spider-Man meet? Well... I it seems as of lately, and I don't know why this is, but you know, because people have a lot to write about these days because there's nothing going on because of COVID-19. There has been a lot of speculation and a lot of rumors out of Sony that they've been trying to put together a movie that has Tom, that has Andrew, and that has Toby in it. That Tom and Tom and Toby. Okay. And Andrew Garfield. Tom and Toby. Okay. And Andrew Garfield. <sighs> Why don't you like the Andrew Garfield one? I don't know. Have you watched those recently? No, I haven't watched them recently for a reason. I didn't care for them. Well, I was still on the Tobey Maguire's. You know, when I when I saw the Andrew Garfield, I just was like, you know what? Hashtag not my Spider-Man. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I just brought that back. <laughs> You need to revisit those because they are actually really, really good. And it's a shame that they couldn't continue these because, again, they were they were following the Toby ones and everybody loved the Toby ones so much, even though everybody all over the final Toby one. You know, you, you got to watch the new the, the amazing ones also because they're not as bad as everybody said. So which is for fresh eyes. Eventually check those out. But you'll be like, yes, I'd like to see all three of these on the same screen. And you know what? And Joe, we trust. Thank you. Now. <laughs> This is also the second Spider-Man. Oh, by the way, honestly, the J. Jonah Jameson thing, I was more in shock by that than when his identity is compromised. I, I'm like, that, J. Jonah Jameson's back. <laughs> yeah, I was, at first, I didn't understand. Like, I knew they were making it a big deal because it was J.K. Simmons, but I didn't understand the reason why. Yeah. And now when it's talked about and explained, it's okay, that now makes sense because they're now they're making reference to the Tobey Maguire or... Is it just a coincidence? Okay, hold on a second here. You just sat there and lauded the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans, but you didn't remember that J. Jonah Jameson was in all three? No, because the other one, the, the middle okay. ones. Okay, that's all these. we needed to hear right there. Thank you very much. The Garfield <laughs> ones were just, man. He wasn't in the Garfield ones. Okay, well, then that's fine. But I, no, no then, okay. I remember that he was in the um, Tobey Maguire saga. We have not seen... J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson's since Spider-Man 3. Okay. Yeah. I knew he was in those. <clears throat> okay. Then there's a post-credit scene. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Fury and Maria are revealed to have been the Skrulls, Talos and his wife, Soren. They were ordered by Fury to give Edith to Peter, and Talos gives Fury an update on what had just happened. Fury is then shown to be relaxing on a Skrull ship, which he is apparently commandeering. 
Okay, so Fury's relaxing. Where's Maria Hill? Well, I'll tell you. She, uh, Talos' wife, did a hell of a lot better job impersonating Maria Hill than Talos was of. Exactly. I, I agree. I agree. And, okay. But yeah, I have no idea where Maria Hill is. That's, that's concerning. And, and now I've got questions because how long has Fury been on the ship? I mean, he met the Skrulls in 1995. So has he been a Skrull all along? These are questions that better be answered. <laughs> I, and maybe that explains a little bit why we maybe haven't seen the newer Nick Fury since Civil War. You know, he has been absent. Been, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I know 1995 and Civil War is about, what, 10 years? Yeah. Maybe more than that. But it's uh, I just can't believe anything anymore. But Who then, the hell's a scroll? It, then again, if he was on the scroll ship during Endgame, wouldn't he have also enlisted the scrolls to help him in the war? Or were they just hanging out up there going, oh, they got this. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> were, were any of them were any of them blipped? These are all things I'm now, today, I am now just thinking about. They're just popping in my head like, where has he been? And you know what? I don't think those are going to be answered in the next phase. Uh, because the, the type of movies that are coming out are so drastic and they don't really relate to what has happened. Other than maybe in Spider- the new Spider-Man. That would be the only time. But... There's so many other pressing matters in the Spidey U <laughs> that need to be addressed other than this. But eh, you never know. Well, according to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 91%, 45 fresh reviews, and 6 Rotten. The critics on average gave this film a 6.78 out of 10. And the critics' consensus reads, a breezily unpredictable blend of teen romance and superhero action, Spider-Man Far From Home stylishly sets the stage for the next era of the MCU. And the audience score, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, is a 4.63 out of 5, with 95% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. But the movie's over, Steve. Were you entertained? Yeah. It was a (laughs) hell of a lot of fun. I wish I saw it in 3D if it was available. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Uh, I, yes, definitely. It kind of surprised me. I mean, we were just following arguably the greatest comic book movie ever made. So I was waiting for a downswing and it wasn't a bad downswing. It was a really good downswing. You know me and how well I do after movies, after Avengers movies. Yes. <laughs> but uh, let's figure out whether the awards got it right and whether this movie's worth your time or not. Okay. Gets any wins where it should be. That is a travesty. Zero nominations at the Academy Awards. Zero nominations at the Golden Globes. But now we go to the Saturn Awards. It got four nominations and it won two. It was nominated for Best Comic to Film Motion Picture, but it lost to Avengers Endgame. Can't argue with that. Yep. It won. For a best performance by a younger actor or actress, Tom Holland won for this. He beat out Asher Angel for Shazam, Evan Alex for Us, Jack Dylan Grazier for Shazam, Millicent Simmons for Quiet Place, Millie Bobby Brown for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Shahadi Wright-Joseph for Us. I got a great time. Holland was the best one of all those. Oh, God, yes. He was great this film. It was nominated for best special effects, but that went to a little film called Avengers Endgame, and I kind of got to agree, because we just talked about how fire and water are hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> but then Best Supporting Actress goes to Zendaya for Spider-Man Far From Home. 
and she beat out Scarlett Johansson for Avengers Endgame, Karen Gillan for Avengers Endgame, Naomi Scott for Aladdin, Haley Steinfeld for Bumblebee, Cynthia Erivo for Bad Times at the El Royale, and Amber Heard for Aquaman. Okay, Steve, I gotta ask. We talk, we've hailed how good Zendaya was in this movie with everything she delivered, but was she... Let's start with this. Was she better than Karen Gillan? Ugh. I think they. I, I would put them both on the same level. Was she better because than Scarlett Johansson? I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so either. I think Scarlett got screwed in this category. <laughs> I mean, even even Naomi Scott in Aladdin, mm-hmm. Jasmine, right? Yeah, she did. She did an amazing job in that. The other two, Haley Steinfeld was good in Bumblebee. I never saw that. I know you ranted and raved about that one. Yep. Uh, I saw Aquaman, but I can't. I couldn't tell you who Amber Heard was. She was Mira. And the bad. Yeah, I still can't tell you. <laughs> she was <And> Aqua Girl. <laughs> and bad times at the El Royale. I've never seen, but okay. still, that is. This is a pretty stacked lineup. Oh yes, it is. So I guess kudos to her for winning it, but it should have went to Scarlett Johansson. And uh, nothing at the MTV Movie Awards, which is kind of surprising. But then again. You look at some of the young names that are on this list, and you're like, yeah, they're probably, they've moved past Zendaya at this point. Yeah. Okay, on to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we talk about the three things that are, ugh, bad, unforgivable, downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. Steve, what are your top three? My number three, Tony's glasses, Edith. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's tech is so damn cool. Yes, it is. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I'm looking at this. And he, when he, Peter's wearing them, and he looks over, and he sees Ned and Betty texting next to each other. I miss <laughs> you. I miss you more. And the fact that he can delete pictures, you know, off other people's phones, and it's just like, damn, that tech is so cool. But at the set, that's a little creepy. Too cool. Wait. So is it is it a highlight or a, a low light, Steve? I I still I like it because it's the tech. Okay. I, All right. You, it was just it. It's like the soup, but in the glasses. What else can this damn thing do? Got it. That's what I want to know. I want to know the full extent of everything that Tony's tech, those glasses can do. Okay. So that was my number three. Number two, the damn twisted the bar. <laughs> Realized that Quentin Beck is the main villain was awesome. Mm-hmm. It definitely got me, and it just hooked me on how cool this movie really is. If this kind of a if this twist doesn't happen in the movie, I think I drop it a whole letter grade, maybe even two. Oh wow! It's because I don't. I'm not. I'm not someone who likes to get got. So I know that's not grammatically correct, but no, we'll go with it. <laughs> but it's like, oh, I just got duped big time. Okay, <laughs> I'm in, and you did a fantastic job at fooling me. That's what makes this movie really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And my number one, Tom Holland just acts the shit out of this movie. Okay. He does right. a fantastic job. I love him in this role. Those are mine. What are yours? Okay, my number three, the action scenes in this movie make the scenes in Spider-Man Homecoming look silly, which leads me to my number two. I feel like they did a great job making a believable version of Mysterio and adapting his character from the comics, and Mysterio makes Vulture look silly. Oh. Sorry, Michael not, Keaton fans. Mysterio is greater than Vulture. Yeah, they're not even they're not even in the same league. Nope. 
have two different, I mean, both have great technologies, but what Mysterio was able to do completely alter reality. Yes. And, insane. and my number one, J. Jonah Jameson is back. <laughs> Sorry. That, that was the biggest, when he showed up on the screen, that got the most a reaction in the theater. And that's that not was, to say uh, that the rest of the movie did, didn't give out reactions. It's just, that was like the big, yes, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. Yeah. That was definitely my tempo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's like eating a Sunday. And at the very bottom of the Sunday and the bottom of the bowl, there's that one little cherry that's been soaked in ice cream. And you're like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to the bottom three, Steve. Time to vent. Go for it. My number three, Aunt May in mom pants. (laughs) Uh, No, sir, I don't like it. (laughs) I I loved her in the other ones. It's, I guess it, I guess the only excuse I can give it is this is how much the blip has affected her. Okay. Uh, My number two, this movie throws too many questions. And I feel Marvel is doing exactly what Mysterio did in the movie. Creating illusions of what is or what isn't real. Okay. I mean, the scrolls are involved now. Now I got to think, who is a scroll? Who isn't a scroll? I've got some questions to ask these people because <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's how you figure out it's a scroll or not but it's just like i now i want to go back i mean the thing with nick fury how long has he been gone yeah what's real what's uh it was th- that's a lot to take in yes and if that is true i know i said earlier i liked being duped but I don't like being made stupid <laughs> and, be- and believing this for something that long. Well, Steve, maybe this was a thinking man's movie. Oh. <laughs> That's still my favorite conversation with you. Oh, God. <laughs> maybe it is. I don't. I, All right. What's your number anyway, one? My number. Thank you. My number one. Uh, Peter. You're trying to create this perfect and stick plan to be with MJ, Mary J- or Michelle. Sorry. <laughs> Even got you it's, tripping on it now. <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't, it never works out, man. And I, it, it, it's just, it, it was like a thorn in the side during this film that he's trying to make this perfect plan. And I get that he's a kid, but it never works out. Hell, you already knew it didn't work out when you didn't go to Paris. Yep. <laughs> you just got to chill, man. And, work with what you got you, or you, shake what your mama gave you exactly you got to work with what you have and not what could be so all right that's my bottom three what are yours my number three is the fact that call something so massive and tragic for five years a blip no <laughs> no 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 okay my number two is the same as, as something you mentioned earlier the mystery of fury's absence the reason why this is a, a bottom two, first of all, I love when loose ends are still out there to continue stories, but when you make a loose end that probably ties in seven or eight other stories you've already oh, done, God, yeah. that becomes a problem for me because you need to explain this in a way that doesn't make the next series of movies um, dependent on the Infinity Saga to work. 
I think the next series has to be a, a series of movies that you don't need to watch the Infinity Saga to understand the next story. And if you do it, you've now done something that people have begun to get a little, I guess, surly about when it comes to the Infinity Saga, which is there's just too many movies. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same exact thing. If people have to watch this Infinity Saga in order to understand the next set, people are going to be turned off by it. It's the same reason why I want to do it. It's the same reason. And this is one of the reasons why people won't get into comics is because they're like, oh, well, have you read Batman? I'm not going to go back to 1950 whatever to start reading the comics that came out since then all the way until now. There's just too damn many. And my number one. I feel like we didn't get to spend enough time with Quentin Beck. When it comes to villains, Steve, the big four to me are Thanos, Loki, Hela, and Mysterio now. Uh, and unfortunately, two of those were one-offs. And one of them had to share their villain role with Surtur. Well, yeah. So that's my number one. I still feel like Beck isn't, in the back of my mind, Beck isn't truly dead. I hope he's not. I, I feel like we're going to get surprised somehow. Well, it's time for a critics rating. We use an A to F scale here on the movie planet. A C is considered average. A or a 12 is the highest and an F or a 1 is the lowest. If the movie is so bad it receives Fs from all the hosts, it goes to a new category of movie, the movie planet global killer. And don't worry, that movie will not be sitting solo. It might be sitting next to Solo, a category of movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how bad it is. So the question is, what do you give Spider-Man Far From Home in the comic book feature film genre? Steve, you want to go first or second? Uh, I went I went I went last last time, so I can take a back seat this time. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to give my grade last. OK, you, you take the first one for it. All right. Here we go. Well, we're in the final movie of Marvel's Infinity Saga. Yes, this is the final movie, not Endgame. And where many would wonder, why on earth would you not have Endgame be the final movie? The answer is quite simple. This saga needed a happy ending. Yes, I know everyone came back and that should be all well and good, but our heroes are scattered and it ends on a funeral of Iron Man. Enter Far From Home. Now, Spider-Man Far From Home had three major mountains to climb. One, it had to follow Endgame with a serviceable movie. Two, it had to give us closure on the entire Infinity Saga. And three, it had to set up the next massive story for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it killed it on all three levels. First, to follow Endgame was a difficult task. Many of us were still reeling from Tony's final utterance of I love you 3000. This movie needed to be less bittersweet. And in many ways, it was the perfect vehicle for this. As we had mentioned on the previous Spider-Man Homecoming podcast, the Spider-Man movies have a much more humorous tone to them. And because the lead is only 16 years old, there's a lot of awkwardness, a lot of mistakes, and a lot of emotion that the audience can enjoy as a roller coaster. That final gasp of the, ah, things will be okay, is exactly what this movie serves up because we are back to having a good time at a Marvel movie. So, first mountain, conquered. Now, the second mountain was, hey, the Infinity Saga needed a little more closure. You can't just jump into the next movie and go, okay, moving on. 
The ramifications of Tony's death and the breakup of the original six Avengers was tough to swallow, especially for the youngest member of the group, Peter Parker. Peter is still dealing with the death of his mentor and father figure in Tony Stark. He's almost in as rough a shape as Tony was in Iron Man 3. Throughout the movie, he asked the same question that the audience was asking the entire time. Who is going to replace Tony Stark or Robert Downey Jr.? And in order for that to be answered, they had to grow Peter up emotionally. After Endgame, that should have changed him. And in this movie, he's really working hard to make the right decisions. But more importantly, he's trying to figure out what kind of man he wants to be and needs to be. When we finally see him take the torch when constructing the new spider suit on the plane with Happy, we realize again we're going to be okay. Finally, this had to set up the new direction for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Only the, on the one hand, it had to bring closure, but gearing up for the next series of films was priority number one for this movie. They had to establish Peter as an alpha instead of the beta he's been so far. In the first Spider-Man movie, they needed Iron Man to give him credibility in the MCU. In this movie, there aren't any other of the Avengers. None. They also needed to give him a foe that was much more of a threat than Vulture. Enter Mysterio, a villain pulled straight from Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, etc. A villain who cared more about likes than lives. When you look at these two individuals, Mysterio and Iron Man, they aren't that far apart in their personalities or motivations. Both want to be the hero. The difference is that Iron Man knows the cost and where to draw the line. Mysterio doesn't care about the cost. And when Peter recognizes that, Mysterio becomes the villain. And he doesn't need an Avenger to hold his hand to figure it out. He does it on his own. Tom Holland and the rest of this cast in this movie do a phenomenal job at emoting when it's necessary, but it was incumbent that Holland become actually be seen as the actor in this movie. And when the movie ends with him in the exact same position as Tony Stark was at the end of the first movie in the Infinity Saga, it's no mistake. Both have their alter egos revealed at that point in the movie, and this is the ultimate parallel between these two characters. Now, as much as I've waxed poetic about this movie, it has some issues. As cool as Mysterio's tech is, there are some special effects snafus. Which destruction is real? Which destruction is illusion? Is everyone dying or are some of them holograms? If you can kill people by just putting them in a hologram, why kill actual people? I have a lot of questions. Also, when did Michelle find out about Spider-Man? I mean, if she's all about the truth, how come she didn't just out him earlier? I mean, I get she's 67% sure, but that seems to be enough for her to speculate in private. And why have the Ned and Betty storyline if it's not really going to affect Peter's crush with Michelle? And, and who is the new character, the seamstress? And, and why aren't we given a name? Ugh. And for that reason, I can't put this in the A range. But I am giving this a B plus. Steve? So when this movie first came out, we had our little chats. Just like I think is the new normal whenever we go out and we'll see a movie in the theaters. Hopefully that comes back soon. Uh, I was, You were very surprised at what I thought about this movie. You pointed out that I have a history of not liking movies after the Avengers movies. So naturally, this movie is already doomed. How in the hell can you top Endgame? 
you do it with Tom Holland. Seriously, he makes this movie so much fun to watch you feel for him and go along with him on this ride. He is totally relatable. Even to me, a 36-year-old, I get it. I can't remember what I gave Homecoming, but this is right up there with it. I love how the storyline connected all the way back to Iron Man. This is this movie almost seemed like an Iron Man 4 with how much Tony Stark was involved in this movie. And only he, would, when he's not even there, would make a movie about himself. There are some things I didn't really care for. The whole Ned-Betty thing. Eh, I know we needed something for Ned to do, but he was almost worthless in this movie. He was so much better as a sidekick. I would have liked to see how that relationship evolved and got better the villain analysis mysterio badass uniform that gets a top-notch score already (laughs) (laughs) i like the link to stark which makes his motives personal i also understand why he did what he did that is the make of a great villain jake gyllenhaal is definitely the second best actor in this movie great performance Villain-wise, I would put him on par with Obadiah Stane. (laughs) Took the lead and had a hand in everything that was going on and recruited the right people. The only nitpick is, damn, he waited a while to get back at Tony. But I guess with the building of this tech and this barf technology (laughs) (laughs) and owning it, I guess you needed to put in some time to make sure that it all worked right. I had a lot more fun than I thought I was going to have in this movie. It is just weird seeing a Marvel movie, especially after everything that has happened. You just feel different. I give it a B plus. Wow. We, on the final movie, we both give it the same grade. <laughs> yeah. I agreed with a lot of what you said that it's, it's, and I had a tough time giving it that A status. Yeah. But I thoroughly, like I said, I was surprised I had so much fun with it. Definitely a B plus. Well, okay, so so that actually gives it an average score of a ten point zero zero zero, a straight B plus. And unfortunately, Steve, Spider Man Far From Home is also not making the Pantheon because there is a B plus in there in Black Panther, but its average score was a ten point five. One of us gave it a B plus, and one of us gave it an A minus. Okay. So it, it edges it out a little bit there. Um, so it's not making it into the Pantheon. Uh, but since we've done the franchise now, we have one, two, oh, three, is... four movies out of seven that are Marvel movies, which I'm kind of surprised because I thought for sure we're our biases. We're going to put all seven of them in there. Uh, but this is kind of nice. We actually kept ourselves in check a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, the Dark Knight. Amazing. Deadpool. We've talked about Deadpool before, mm-hmm. and it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I would love to rewatch that one and then the second one. Yeah, uh, but now we need to look at where the Infinity Saga fits in the franchise pantheon. Oh, so I did the numbers. I, I took all of our average grades. Number one, number one is Toy Story with a B plus average grade for all the movies, which is a 10.5. The next one was the Star Wars, the episode movies, 
which was an average grade of a 9.185. Now, keep in mind, we have not done Rise of Skywalker yet. All we, right. We've only done episodes one through eight. So if we do Rise of Skywalker, that number could go up. It could go down. And then settling in at number three with a B also, a 9.100 is now the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's above Alien, the Alien franchise. It's above the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World franchise, which is a C plus. And it's above the Die Hard franchise, which is a C plus. So seeing where the MCU sits in there, when you think about all the movies that we have done, how do you feel about the fact that we've graded the MCU as overall, franchise-wise, you can be guaranteed that you're going to be around a B with every single one of these movies at some point? Yeah, it's it, it's it's sad, I guess, the fact that it is number three, I feel. Well, things will obviously change as more movies come out. No, no, because I, this is the end. I should put it in here, this is the Infinity Saga. I guess I'm talking about the... Things might change when we do The Rise of Skywalker. And yes, I, I, I guess you can never say that a saga is truly done for. Now, would you have to put Black Widow in the Infinity Saga? No. Because that does happen in that timeline. It happens in the timeline, but it has been explicitly stated that the Infinity Saga is completed. It's being sold in stores. The Infinity Saga, Black Widow. There's not a place marker in that in that in that box. Oh, yeah, there. It hasn't come out yet. Yeah. No, but it, it came out before Black Widow was going to come out. Okay. So well, I feel it gets the bad rap as how low it is because there's so many movies. So there's more opportunity for there to be poor movies. But I think it's what makes it more impressive because they this is the this is the only franchise of all six that are on here. That was cranking out two or three a year. And to maintain a B average with that consistency, I think is, that's unheard of. I mean, Toy Story, that spans, what, 20 years? 25 years? And they made four movies. Could you imagine? Oh, think about this. Think if there were only four movies in the MCU over 25 years. Seeing the care that they put in these films, you know that they would be all A's. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I feel... We're, I don't want to say we're forced. Ah! It's obviously, it's obviously all elective. To, it's whether you grasp into the, the, the comic book movies or not. But they've just become so mainstream because there's so many and so many were putting them out that it was almost unheard of. And uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say you're looked down on, but like, if you never watched the MCU, you were like, you haven't seen any of these movies. <laughs> I mean, they've been a part of our lives for 10 years and so many movies have come out. Yeah. So it's like, but if you say the same thing for like toy story, I, I don't know. I guess if you had the same number of star Wars movies, the same number of MCU movies and all those were relatively the same on how many movies are graded and a part of it, could they be considered differently? Now star Wars is up there because that expanded a lot longer. <laughs> that was like 30, 40 years, wasn't it? Yes, it was. But so but when they would make not as many but, movies come out. Right, but when they were making trilogies of movies, it was one every couple years. Yeah. Um and so, so I I guess could could the saga be different? Could it be graded lower if 
it was broken up like Star Wars. I mean, I hate to speculate on those types of things, but I actually think it might be graded. <laughs> I think it might be graded higher. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I also I'm looking at the grades here. The lowest grade we gave a Marvel movie was Captain Marvel with a C minus average. When you have a franchise of 23 movies and the lowest one you have is just a little below average. I say you won. I mean, I, look, if you look at the alien movies, the lowest grade we gave that one was a. Let's see. A, <laughs> where I don't know. I'm looking for Alien 3. Up, oh, yeah, that was a D, a 3.3 out of 12. Uh, when you look, the Star Wars movies, the lowest grade we gave those ones, I mean, uh, was, let's see, look, in 8.25, it was a B minus. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was Attack of the Clones. And oh. that, yeah, that was a C. C plus, I mean, a 7.5. That's the lowest grade that we've given of the episode movies a grade. Now, if we include the spinoffs, Steve, oh, which I don't include the spinoffs in the Star Wars franchise because it's the saga movies. It's the episode. Yeah, movies. no, they're not needed. I agree with you. And that's what lifts Star Wars that little bit more because they don't have to worry about Solo being in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like where this is sitting because it, when you see it sitting at three, it makes people discuss why it's at three. And you can have the discussion then of Toy Story is a great franchise, but it's only four. Why is Infinity Saga a B, but it's 23 movies? And that discussion yeah. puts it in that pantheon of it's worthy of discussion. I hope it just doesn't get knocked out. Oh, and no. it's, I, I mean, it's a B, but I mean, there's so many other franchises to look at that, you know, it could, you know, one that comes brings to mind. There's two that come to mind right away. Say it. Back to the Future yep. and Indiana Jones. Oh, I thought you were going to say something else that's coming down the pipeline over the course of the next couple months. The, oh. the Lord of the Rings. Ooh, and the, God, that's right. Now, if you remember when we did these originally, we graded those as one saga. That was JC's rule. JC said <sighs> it is the Tolkien saga. It's all six movies. I didn't want that, but that's what he wanted, and he is the Tolkien fan above my fandom, so I had to lean into that, and, you know, that we'll see where that grades out as a franchise. You know, I don't own The Hobbits. I own The Lord of the Rings on Blu-ray, and, oh, that would be a, that would be a trip to go down. But see, that'd be, I've watched those so many times. Yep. It'd be tough to sit down and watch them now mm -hmm. alone. I would love to watch those with somebody who hasn't watched it because then that would be a lot more fun. Well, and the other ones to think about are <sighs> we also did the Evil Dead franchise and we're going to release that in about a year. Okay. So, All right. But I, I, can, I, can, I can tell you this right now. The Tolkien saga, it's going to end up being above the Infinity Saga. I know. I know. It's hard to hear. Because that's very hard to hear. In the end, I enjoy the Marvel movies more. But this goes to what our critics rating and our entertainment value rating are. We can look at something critically, but we can enjoy it in a different way. Yeah, I mean, but that's it's tough to put it as one whole saga because I absolutely love Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. and that might have been the Return of the King. What might have been the first movie in a long time in my life 
I teared up at. <laughs> well, I got that emotional feeling for it. And that there's like only two other movies that we've just recently reviewed that that's done that for me. Endgame was one of them. Endgame and Infinity War. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So some other franchise we could consider the Hunger Games, <laughs> the DCEU or what remnants of it there were. Oh, we need to put those in order and tack that bad boy. <laughs> the Harry Potter movies. Yes. The Indiana Jones movies, obviously. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Shrek. Would you put Back to the Future or would that be a trilogy? I've got Back to the Future as a trilogy. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to have four, at least four movies. Okay. Uh, Star Trek. Uh, the Terminator films. That's never making... No. <laughs> Fox's X-Men movies. Uh, yeah. The Transformer series, which mm, uh, the Fast and the Furious, oh god, and the Jason Bourne series, mm. and of course there's James Bond. But oh, I, I'm I'm just going to tell everybody out there that's listening, I want to thank you. We want to thank you for being with us for 23 movies. We are not going to jump into another franchise that's over 10 movies for a <laughs> while. <Yeah. laughs> Now, when it comes to trilogies, Steve, we've got The Hobbit, we've got The Lord of the Rings, we've got The Godfather trilogy. Yeah. Got The Hangover trilogy, The Matrix trilogy, The Planet of the Apes trilogy, The Riddick trilogy, The Raimi Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire trilogy, uh, The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle trilogy. Yeah, there we go. And I, the Well, I don't would that be a saga? There are other there's like a total of 6. There's only three in the live action, okay? We're going TMNT, we're going Secret of the Ooze, and we're going Turtles in Time. Oh, I think Solo might have a partner. <laughs> it could be one of those three. Well, let's get our critics hats off. Did you enjoy Spider-Man Far From Home? Like it or none of the above? I liked it a lot. I almost loved it. Joe, what are you? I, I, I have like, but I, you know what? I love it. I, I, I love, I love it because of the final battle. I, I, and the fact that Mysterio is so damn cool. I love it. I'm going to say love. I have like, but I love. That's all we've got time for today. Movie Planeteers next show. We will finally move away from the comic book genre and head into the crime pantheon with the usual suspects with the original suspects, Joel and JC and myself. Steve, have you seen this one? It has been a while. If you like Spider-Man Far From Home's twist, <laughs> you have no idea what ride you're going to go on. There's only one twist I can put on the same level as the usual suspects one, and it's the sixth sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Where you see it and you go, I have to watch this movie all over again now. Yes. Yes. I agree with you on that one. There's very few movies out there that do that. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook and Twitter, and follow the Instagram at some point for one minute reviews. I don't know when movie theaters are opening up. 
I, no, no clue. These are on pause right now. But the opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. And the Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. And all movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Steve? Huh. Any last words? The Marvel MCU? I love you, 3000. Thank you for listening, and happy movie watching.